בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We are uh, back here on our Wednesday night stump the rabbi. בעזרת השם, הקדוש ברוך הוא will uh, give us some uh, good words to say, to give some חיזוק. After that, בעזרת השם, you guys will give uh, some questions, ask some questions. Uh, tonight's show will be for a uh, רפואה שלמה for רבנית לבנה בת שרה, רבנית uh, שרה בת ענת. תינוקת בת שרה, רבקה בת שרה, תינוק בן רבקה, דוד בן נסריה, דוריס בת ג'ורה, אורית בת אילנה, טליה בת שרה, יתרו בן אברהם, רב אפרים בן שולמית, and also for הצלחה רבה for um, מרשה בת ג'ולי, איילה בת מרשה, סמיאל בן מרשה, ספס בן מרשה, אלכסנדר בן מרשה, לואיס בן מרשה, שאול בן פרזנה, ראובן חיים בן פאלה פארל, אוסף הזיווג הגון, והם. And, um, נתנאל יוסף בן אברהם, אוסף הזיווג הגון, ג'שוע בן נוח, אלכס בן נוח, אלעד בן דוריס, גבי בן דוריס, דוד בן עשריה, אושרי בן דוריס, ונתרו בן אברהם, and all of עם ישראל, and all of the righteous people that continue to support us, righteous Noahides, righteous Jews, at the very least people that are trying their best to, uh, to become as righteous as possible. So uh, there's a lot to say, there's a lot to do, uh, you know, the, uh, the news keeps coming, but, you know, from all different sources, from private sources, from public sources, And it's interesting um, that in this week's parasha, in this week's parasha, parashat matot, matot ma'aseh, it's two parasha week. In the uh, first paragraph, in uh, chapter, in the book of Numbers, chapter 30, um, verse number three, uh, says, that they... Uh, person if a man will take a vow to Hashem and swear on an oath to establish a prohibition upon himself he shall not desecrate his word according to whatever comes from his mouth he shall do uh, the last part that is what I read in Hebrew um, from here we learn that the uh, things that a person says things that a person says hold a lot of weight in Shemaim whatever you say you have to do it you have to do it now Interestingly, we all know that sometimes we talk uh, nonsense. We talk nonsense. We say things that uh, are incorrect. We sometimes say things that are uh, deceitful, sometimes outright lies. We say things that are wrong. And uh, for this we pray. For this we pray every single day at the, uh, at the end of Amidah. The end of Amidah says... אלוהי נצור לשוני מרע, וספתותיי מדבר מרמה. That after everything we've prayed in Amidah, after the end, right before you say, you take the three steps back and you say, עושה שלום ממרומיו, there's a whole paragraph, there's a whole paragraph, that's a uh, custom of, his, of Israel to do it, where you uh, say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, my God, please guard my tongue from evil. נצור לשוני מרע. 
and my lips from speaking deceitfully here we see that speaking evil and speaking deceitfully are two different things and you're asking Kadosh Baruch Hu to protect you from both now lying cheating things of that nature that's not so hard to uh, uh, to explain not so hard to understand but what about speaking evil what about speaking evil a lot of people speak evil so much so that we have to pray for it three times a day asking a Kadosh Baruch Hu to please help us from speaking evil well let's see if you noticed Rabotai, and I promise you the shield is not going to be about them but just to notice a point um, all of the people that uh, these Rashaim that we've exposed over the years uh, whether it was Goldberg or Manus Friedman or Mervis or most uh, you know uh, most recently uh, Asher Meza uh, generally speaking the one common denominator among all of them aside from their deceit and their Lashonara and their uh, all types of heresy and so on some common denominator that perhaps some of you were clever enough to notice is that after we exposed all of the skeletons that they were hiding in their closets in their lectures where some of their uh, videos would be good but inside each video there would be some form of heresy uh generally speaking it wasn't the whole thing that was bad it was usually you know a few moments within some more some less some are experts at it so like manis friedman that uh literally uh, every other sentence is uh, is, is something uh, problematic but nonetheless it looks great for most people that don't know the difference between what is the torah and what is philosophy of of, of his mind but nonetheless the one thing that i've noticed is that after we've exposed each one of them they all got worse meaning their heresy and their just manic behavior and antithetical to uh, uh, to the Torah type of behavior got much worse after we exposed them now you would say was well, so maybe you shouldn't expose people because they're getting worse opposite opposite why the Torah is compared to by the sages as an analogy that compared to water now if you live in Florida where it rains simply like half the year here or at least it seems like it um, you notice that it rains and what happens when it rains all of the creatures come out the worms come out of the ground the frogs the toads you have like a little uh, jungle outside of your door in every house doesn't matter if you're living in the uh the Boca Raton or in Cooper City or in Hollywood everywhere there's all these little creatures come out and uh and have a good time but only after it rains you're not going to see the worm hanging out in a you know scorching sun it'll die same thing with the frog and the toads and so on you're not going to see them but when it rains and there's a lot of rain all of these creatures come out the Torah is the same thing once you show the truth of Torah those that are real those that are real hold on to it whereas those that are fakers they're heretics and so on all of their heresy all of their worms all of their ma uh, spiritual maggots come out all of their frog beliefs come out and they show you who they really are and most uh, 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 uh things you just ask yourself you ask yourself and i used to ask myself this in the past is it better or is it worse the reason why it's better and my rod told me it's better to do it is because 
This is actually what Am Yisrael did to deal with Christianity. Christianity, which uh, surely started, uh, you know, many, many years after Jesus actually died. Uh, and uh, the people that wrote the New Testament, perhaps, you know, didn't even know who he was, never saw him or anything like that, disagreed with each other. It was started with a bunch of ignorance and, uh, and uh, uh, illiterate people. But at least, you know, they got themselves a crowd. They got themselves a crowd. Sort of like the crowd some of these other Rishayim get. People that are ignorant and, you know, are easy to pick on, easy to take advantage of, easy to fool. And what ends up happening is that in the beginning of Christianity, because there was, you know, before Christianity, there was Judaism and then there was paganism. That's it. It wasn't like other things. So then Christianity is born. You know, Islam is born many hundred years later. I think something like uh, 600 years later or so. So you have paganism, praying to statues, praying to the sun, praying to, uh, you know, people, praying all types of stupid things. And then you have Judaism, the truth that's always been. But now you have Christianity, which claims that they're praying to a God, the same God, but also there's a man and also there's some type of ghost. Perhaps this ghost will be in a movie a couple thousand years later and, you know, and, and, and go into Hollywood. Not really sure who this ghost is and how he comes about. But nonetheless, you have this little ghosty thingy and you have this guy that looks like a rock star and you have supposedly the same God of Israel. Now, because the people that they started it with were ignoramuses, illiterates, who could not check anything for themselves. They simply relied on the teacher, you know, uh, really much like most people today. They rely on the teacher. So they couldn't verify true, not true. And, and in reality, what ended up happening is that people still felt that they were being Jewish. They just had an additional savior, an additional helper, a middleman. Even though this is against the foundation of Judaism, they didn't know enough about Judaism despite being Jewish, to know that this is wrong. And what ended up happening is that Christianity at its birth was very, very similar to Judaism. They kept the Sabbath, they kept uh, Kashrut, they kept a lot of the laws. Only later on did this change where the, uh, the, uh, they changed, the Pope changed it to, uh, 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 from Shabbat to Sunday, and no more kosher, and completely abandoning uh, all of the laws of the Torah. And now they say, listen, we don't uh, uh, need to abide by the uh, Ten Commandments. We need to com uh, abide by something more difficult. What? We need to be moral people. It's, more, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. We have, you know, we have to believe in Yoshke, and we have to be moral people. Uh, and uh, that's much harder than keeping the Ten Commandments, which breaks up into 613. Obviously, only somebody that's, you know, spiritually sick actually believes this is more, this is better, or this is true. But nonetheless, there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that think this. And we cry for those people, too, to, to, to wake up and see the truth. But nonetheless, at birth of Christianity, the original Christians were Jews. And those Christians looked like Jews acted like Jews, and it created a problem. So the Chachamim had to decide, what are we going to do because you have a couple of, you know, bad people starting this whole thing, and it's causing some decent people to fall prey to it because they don't know the difference. 
So they decided to take one of the Chachamim, it ended up eventually being two, and go and infiltrate into the Christian world and do all types of things necessary to get them to follow you. And one of the Chachamim did it. Uh, you know, uh, later on, he'll be called Paul. And he did uh, 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 some miracles uh, in order to uh, fool them into thinking that he's the continuation of Jesus. And once they adopted this whole thing, once they followed him as the new leader, as the new connection, if you will, to Jesus and so on, his number one job was to make Christianity as different from Judaism as possible. Hence the reason changing it from you know from shabbat saturday to sunday you know eliminating the law and 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 uh, and so on and so forth so the whole thing of 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 exposing the truth is not so easy it's not so easy because you have to make sure that people know enough to to follow along and if they if they can't follow along you have to sometimes take extreme measures in order to make sure that they do follow along, that they do follow along because they can see the difference. The difference is more clear. And that's what happened with Christianity. And obviously today, no one is mistaken uh, the vast majority of Christianity for Judaism until recent last several decades where the Christians have a new trick up their sleeve and they started this thing called Messianic Judaism, which is 100% Christianity, but... Nonetheless, the, the, uh, the, uh, the ignoramuses of the world will fall prey to it to a certain extent and believe that they're Jewish even though they're 100% not Jewish. Now, and also believe that the word Messiah in Christianity or so-called Messianic Judaism has the same definition as Messiah in Judaism, uh, you know, which is, although it's the same word, two different, completely two different uh, definitions. To us, Messiah means a human being that Hashem sends to the world that uh, it's a regular human being born from, from a man and a woman, uh, not a man and a man and not some ghost and not some uh, nothing. Just a regular, typical man as far as flesh and blood who is very, very righteous. Uh, some Chachamim say he's even a, a Baal Tshuva. But the point being is, is that this man eventually uh, discovers himself when Hashem uh sanctifies him and uh instills certain uh, supernatural powers into him as it says in jeremiah and also in uh, uh the other prophets discuss it how he's going to be able to you know smell the sins of man and kill people with his words do all types of things that are supernatural and uh but this has to be done first by a prophet and the prophet that will do this and uh, is, is going to be a uh eliyahu Navi, who never died and uh now, this Messiah, who is Hashem is going to make him a king in this world, is a human. It's not a supernatural, uh, you know, being of, of, of a divine of any kind. He's a human being, and he's the highest level of human being, aside from Moses. Moses is still higher than him. And the Kabbalists say that the his neshama is the, has the spark, not the whole neshama or even half, but the spark of King David and Moses in him. So there's certain uh, Kabbalistic teachings that talk about the, uh, the uh, neshama of the, uh, of the Messiah 
but nonetheless everyone agrees this is a normal human being loves the Torah righteous uh zealous for Hashem and so on Messiah in in in, in Messianic Judaism i.e Christianity is another word for God that's what it means according to their testament anyone that's a Christian is a Christian because of the New Testament and the New Testament says that Jesus is part of God or is God or whatever some you know idolatrous belief they have that's why we consider it idolatry and the Rambam Paskins that Christianity is 100% idolatry now so when a person is unaware of this they think oh what's the big deal if I believe that uh, Jesus is the Messiah you know what's the you know just like some uh, Chabadniks believe that uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe Allah Shalom is also the Messiah and some other people believe other people are the Messiah isn't it all the same thing no it's not the same thing it's not the same thing they're all wrong but nonetheless it's not the same thing why because the Messiah in Christianity is another word for God this is a fact it's not a uh, uh a opinion it's a fact it's in their New Testament it's in their book if your friend that's a Christian or family member that's a Christian believes that Yoshke was not God then he doesn't believe in the New Testament he has a different religion he has a different religion so if you already have a different religion why don't you just adopt Judaism completely and abandon idolatry altogether not really understanding why people do that but nonetheless sometimes people get you know hung on specific things but the key is is that we know as Jews what is the foundation of Judaism based on our Torah and the works of our sages and so on and in the Christian world they know more or less their uh you know their uh foundational beliefs if you will is is really predominantly based on you know believing in Yoshke and that he's going to simply uh allow you to make every single crime under the sun as long as you believe in him you'll be saved somehow uh so in essence it's an open ticket to criminality but that's unfortunately their beliefs but it's important that there people know that there's a difference with the wicked people that we've exposed in the beginning when we first exposed them it was very hard for people to tell the difference why because he's a rabbi or holds himself as a rabbi because that's the title that is that that is there before his name and he's a rabbi because that's the title before his name he speaks about Judaism and he speaks about Judaism he covers his head and he covers his head he uh uh you know says that uh, Judaism is great and he says Judaism is great he says God is one he says God is one and so on and so forth so on the surface it looks the same but that's why it needed to be exposed because when we showed the different clips of different forms of heresies that these people talked about and so on people started noticing oh okay this there's, there's a problem there's a problem or maybe it's taking out of contest and some people would be uh, uh uh detailed enough to actually go see the entire video and see the truth and see that the clip is actually an understatement they're actually much worse than what we said and uh but they didn't even have to do that why because these people after we've exposed them the more effective it was the more the worse they got the worse their foreign beliefs got the more uh adamant they were about their foreign beliefs and this happened again with Asher Meza which uh just literally in the last 24 hours 
uh, made a video, wrote comments, and uh, stated this a couple of times. I'm not sure if he stated it in the past also. I doubt it. But he outright says, there is no consequence for not keeping Torah if you don't live in Israel. Meaning, according to Asher Meza's religion, it's not Judaism, he just calls it Judaism, just like the Christians call the Messiah, you know, God and God Messiah, and, and we call Messiah Messiah as a human being. Same thing with, uh, with, with Meza. He says that according to him, and there is no source on planet Earth that will ever say such a thing other than him, that you don't need to keep the Torah and the mitzvot in the Galut. He says you should, but you don't have to. And there's no consequence whatsoever of not keeping the Torah and the Galut. The Torah doesn't mention any. It wasn't part of the agreement according to him. All you have to worry about is ethics. God holds ethics. God holds uh, people accountable uh, in regards to ethics. Now, who defines ethics? Maybe Meza does. Uh, Maybe his friends do at the Freemasons. uh, Or perhaps the Proud Boys. Or, or maybe as a bike club, not really sure who holds the ethics committee, uh, haven't been notified yet. But nonetheless, he says, Torah is only for people that live in Israel. Which means that according to him, all of the Jews that live outside of Israel, including himself, can desecrate Shabbat, can uh, eat Taref, can simply do whatever they want, marry non-Jews, they can do whatever they want according to him. These are his words. Apparently he skipped the blessing in Amidah that says, Guard my tongue from evil, my lips from speaking deceitfully, because he did both and both of those things. But he's not the only one. There's a wicked, evil, evil man that is in the Israeli government, the finance minister, named Avigdor Lieberman. Who is Safek Jewish? I'm not really sure if he's even Jewish, Bechlal. I highly doubt he is. But has declared an outright war against the religious Jews to the extent that he said that he wants to throw all of the uh, religious Jews into the ocean, similar to what the uh, Palestinians say. Uh, has campaigns when he was running for prime minister that were very, very similar statements to Hitler, Adolf Hitler, the Nazi that, you know, annihilated six million Jews. And he has this hatred for Jews that is unlike pretty much anybody else. Even the Arabs don't hate us as much as this guy does. Uh, Perhaps it's the verse, that the prophet says, your conquerors, your destroyers will come from within you, is being fulfilled by Lieberman and his friends, but much more with him. Today was announced this finance minister, Lieberman, is taking a, uh, another shot at the religious community where it bothered him that uh, some of the uh, religious people study Torah for a living and only one, uh, one of the parents, one of the spouses, works. And yet they get a finan- financial incentive from the government like many other people where, that they take advantage of, which is that there is a daycare service that they get $300 a month for. $300 a month for anyone that lives on planet Earth is not much money. Not in Israel, not in America. 
Perhaps it's worth more in Israel than it is in America, but either way, it's not worth much. Nonetheless, he's bothered that this family, that only one parent works, gets 300 bucks a month from the, uh, from the government for daycare, and now he's making 18,000, and some say 24,000 families simply either decide that the husband is going to leave the kolel, stop learning Torah, or give up on the 300 bucks a month. Now, all of the other parents that are not religious, the Arabs, everybody else, no, that's not on his agenda. He doesn't care about them. In fact, he gives them much more money. The government gives them a lot more money, but his focus has always been about the religious people. And many people that are ignorant and that are full of hatred for the Torah and for Hashem and for rules usually jump to the conclusion that the religious people are you know, feeding off of the, uh, of the government, they're milking everybody, they don't work, they don't do anything, and so on and so forth. And one of the main people that does this is Lieberman. But the truth is very, very different than the words. In a, uh, several uh, lectures, videos that were published by Rabbi Zemir Cohen and Hidabrut, uh, articles uh, online by uh, news uh, networks and so on, They've actually reported the actual real numbers. The government reports the numbers and so on. Now, most people don't necessarily read this stuff, either because they're not financially savvy, they're not interested, they don't have time. So most people are falling for the false words of Lieberman and the people like him that say that the religious people don't work and they milk the government and they take advantage of them and uh, they uh, this and they that. When the truth is not only that this, but it's actually the opposite. Meaning that the secular world, especially in Israel, benefits a lot more from the religious people than the religious people benefit from them. And I'm not talking about spiritually of how the whole country exists just because of the religious people learning to lie and so on. That's obviously a, a completely different issue. I'm talking about money. I spent almost 20 years on Wall Street. I don't believe anybody could really debate me in the issues of money and finance and things of that nature. I spent a lot of time doing a lot of big work. I did something around a billion dollars in transactions over my career. Billion dollars is a lot of money. So I think I know a few things about companies, about reading balance sheets and so on and so forth. And the beautiful part is, this is not even something that requires an expert. This just requires a brain that works. Let's see what the truth really is. Lieberman says that giving a religious person 300 bucks a month is killing the government. Killing the government. He has to stop it. And the vast majority of these 20,000 or so families will have to stop getting this financial incentive if they want the husband to continue learning Torah. Only something around 10% of them are both parents are working. So he has... An argument here that, see, look, only one parent is working. Uh, the other one is milking off of the government, right? Let's see. Statistics that came out from the Israeli government itself reported that in, the, in, the, in Israel, 78% of the secular people work. Versus in the Haredi world, religious world, 61% work. Meaning, we're not talking about 
zero percent work in fact we're not even talking about a significant difference we're talking about a 17 percent difference 78 percent of secular 61 percent of Haredi now this 17 percent is not a big difference but it's actually even smaller than you can imagine and the reason why is because out of all of Israel according to their statistics only 12 percent only 12 percent of the population are actually Khalidim religious Jews 12 percent 70 percent are secular 21 percent are Arabs so you have yourself almost 70 percent are secular 21 percent are Arabs meaning that there's more Arabs than there are religious people so this 17 percent is not like millions and millions and millions of people if let's say there's you know 10 million people 10 million people that are in Israel together 1.2 million are religious that's it and out of that 1.2 million 17 percent are not working they are working learning Torah but they're not working in a traditional economy of of commerce and uh, lawyers and doctors and so on and so 17 percent so you're talking about rough estimate let's call it 200,000 people that's it the whole craziness of billions of dollars and 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 anarchy in the entire country is over a couple of hundred thousand people less than two percent of the entire population he's saying that two percent of the entire population is killing the other 98 percent let's see if they are let's see if they are now if you really look at the religious community you'll find that most of them work well over half like I said 61 percent and a hundred percent of all of the religious people pay the same exact sales tax as the secular people which is 18 percent approximately which means that half of the taxes that the government gets comes from sales tax half of the taxes all the taxes they get comes from sales tax both religious non-religious pay the same exact 18 percent tax you go to the store to to go buy some candy to go buy bread to go buy uh you know uh, anything a house to go anything you are paying a sales tax that sales tax everybody pays the same thing just because you have a coupon or you don't have a coupon the store doesn't change the price because of you you want to buy a car you want to buy a computer you want to buy anything paying the same sales tax that's half the taxes it's half the taxes which again we go back to our two hundred thousand people 200,000 people they're still paying the same sales tax as everybody else because they still have to eat they still have to drink whether or they not they they join uh the corporate world they still have to pay the same sales tax so already we see the numbers are skewed into a sense of trying to put a brand of evil on the wrong party here second the ones that do work what do they do they sell books what are they they uh, they they only uh deal with religious people absolutely not you'll see businessmen some of them even billionaires you'll see lawyers doctors accountants bus drivers 
store owners, entrepreneurs, in technology, all types of things, teachers. Now, further you'll see that 95%, 95% of all of the taxes coming into Israel, half of it, like I said, is coming from sales tax, the other half is other types of taxes. But out of that entire 100%, 95% of it comes from the top 30% of the population, while the rest, the 5% of the population, uh, 5% of the uh, taxes, comes from the lower 70%. Again, showing that the, uh, the vast majority of people, 70% of the population, are not really responsible for most of the income of the government anyway. Whether they're secular or Arab or, or religious, they're only contributing 5% of the total taxes for the, for the entire country, even if they are working or not working. Which again shows that these 200,000 people, at best, they're responsible for a microcosmic percent of a percent of the actual taxes or, or the, the effect on the economy altogether. As far as, you know, as far as uh, taxes and so on and so forth. Okay, fine. Now, Lieberman and his friends claim that they're spending not just money on these daycare programs, but they're spending countless money on the Torah institutions. Let's see, how much do they spend on all of the institutions? In regards to general culture, not Torah-related, the government spends 900 million shekels per year, of which 5% goes to anything related to Judaism. Some, you know, uh, 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 religious, some non-religious, some are uh, uh, things that are not uh, have nothing to do with the Haredi community. But out of the total of 900 million, 5% goes to Jewish culture. An insignificant, inconsequential number. What about the yeshivot? Because they're complaining. Well, they're, they're giving a lot of money to yeshivot. They're, uh, they're destroying the economy, these yeshivot. We have to, these kolels, these this, these that. Okay, let's see. A, a uh, higher education budget in Israel is 9 billion shekels. 9 billion shekels a year. Which is for 200,000 students. This seems like small numbers in comparison to people in America and other countries, but this is Israel. It's not such a big country. Nine billion budget, somewhere around three billion dollars or so, are spent on higher education, which is for 200,000 students. Now, a secular student that wants to get higher education costs the government 50,000 shekels per year for the three-year program, meaning for him to complete or for her to complete this higher education program will cost the government 150,000 shekels or approximately $50,000. So if he wants to learn the, uh, the, uh, uh, the history of Rome, the, uh, the dress that the queen in, in, uh, of, uh, of Greece, or perhaps maybe the shoe sizes of the, you know, the leaders of China 3,000 years ago, he could learn it and it'll cost the government 
150,000 shekels for him to complete this entire program. 150,000 shekels. A yeshiva bachu doesn't cost 50,000 shekels a year or 150,000 dollars, 150,000 shekels to complete the program. Rather, $2,880, meaning less than 3,000 shekels a year. Less than $1,000 a year is what a yeshiva bachu cost the government. In comparison to 50,000. So over three years, a yeshiva bachu will get a total of almost 9,000 shekels, about $3,000, less than $3,000. Secular, learning about dinosaurs, that we came from monkeys, amoebas are going to run over the world, and aliens, he gets... 150,000. What about the Avrichim that they complain about that don't join the army and so on and so forth? How much did they get? 5,160 per year. Which means, Rabutai, that what a Avrich will get in three years, I'm sorry, what a secular student learning about China will get in three years. 150,000 shekels will take an avrech, an adult that has a family, 30 years to get. 30 years to get versus three years. That's the reality. These are the numbers published by the government. So it doesn't bother Lieberman and the lefty liberals that to learn about China and amoebas and the uh, world came from nothing is going to cost them 150,000 shekels, even if that student is an Arab terrorist that's eventually going to kill Jews, they're also going to spend 150,000 shekels on him. Even if he's some Christian that decided to move to Eretz Israel, they're also going to pay 150,000 shekels for him. But Chash Shalom, he's a religious Jew. No, no, no. Not only we're not going to pay him 150,000 shekels for, for him to learn, but quite the opposite. We're going to do everything in our power to cancel that 5,000 shekels that he gets per year. The $1,500 that he gets per year, it bothers the government too much. It's killing the society. Now the truth is, what happens to the society as a result of the religious people versus the secular people? What are the results? Now of course we can say that the religious people are better people, they're more moral they're more righteous, they're more giving. We could say all of that, but you may not want to believe. Why? Because you're going to say that uh, I'm biased. And you're right, I am biased. But let's look at the numbers. The numbers say, Rabotai, that show us where morals are, you know, simply by looking at the prisons. Who ends up in prison? Simple. Who ends up in prison? The more moral you are, less likely you are to end up in prison. If you teach your kid that he has to honor his parents and it's an obligation from God, if you teach your kid that he's not even allowed to sit in his father's chair, if you teach your kid that he has to be giving and he has to love other Jews and he has to help and he has to be polite and he has to uh, you know, uh, be afraid of God and not make certain sins, versus if you teach your kid, do whatever you want, just don't get caught. Go play video games that kill people. That's not such a problem. There's nothing wrong with it. If you steal, just make sure you don't get caught. 
if you uh, want to uh, act like husband and wife with somebody else's daughter, go ahead and do it. It's a cute thing. We like to see 12-year-olds have babies. Even though you're going to abandon her two minutes after you had your pleasure. And so on and so forth. You see it. If you want to do some drugs, listen, just don't do too much. You don't die because it's going to cost us a lot of money to bury you. If you want to sell drugs, sell it for a good price. You have a lot of customers. In essence, the education is a little bit different. Not all secular people think that way, but nonetheless, that's the actual results. Whether they are educated that way by their parents or by society, that's the actual results. How do I know that's results? Out of three and a half billion shekels that are spent on the prison system in Israel, who are the ones that are benefiting the most? It surely isn't the religious people. Why? 64.5% of the inmates are secular people. 33% are Arabs. We are now at 97.5%. Only 2.2%, only 2.2% of all of the inmates in prisons are Haredi people. Which means that while you may, may want to complain that out of the three and a half billion dollars, a billion shekels, 70 million is going to the religious people, you can't really claim that. Why? Because over two billion goes to the religious, to the secular, and over a billion, over a billion goes to the Arabs. You're going to complain about 70 million? I don't think so. Especially since you're doing society a favor by removing these Arabs and these criminals from society. Now, that's one way to show who's more moral. Another way is to see what we spend our time. Where, where is the money of the government going? The government spent $94.9 million on theater. $79.5 million on movies. millions on music. 10.5 million on Arab culture. 9.8 to learn different types of skills. 4.9 million was a specific course about plastic. You want to learn about different types of plastics? Government's willing to pay and does pay almost 5 million shekels a year just for you to go learn about these plastic. It's a useful talent. Uh, Maybe you can make a career out of it. We have to spend money on it. After all, the government does get all this money from taxes. Five million for plastic, 9.8 million for different skills. Arab culture, I mean, that must be important in a Jewish country. Over 10 million goes to the Arab culture. Music, who doesn't like music? 60.9 million. Movies, of course you want to destroy your neshama and watch a lot of movies. Almost 80 million. And theater, and uh, it's 95 million. Right. How much on Torah institutions, all of the yeshivot, the budget for all of the yeshivot, the kolos and everything, how much did they get? Do we get 90 million like the theater? Do we get 80 million like the movies? Perhaps we get 65 million like the music. Or maybe like the Arabs at least. So we're equal with the Arabs. They get 10 and a half million. We should get 10 and a half million at the very least. Even though it's a Jewish country, we should at the very least get just as much for Judaism and Torah as the Arabs that are trying to kill you. You would think, but that means that you're actually trying to make sense of the whole thing. It doesn't make sense. Why? The government is run by enemies of the Torah. Whether it was a Vigdor Lieberman or Lapid 
or Naftali Bennett, or it was the one before them, uh, the uh, Netanyahu, that everyone thought he was Messiah, but in reality he's more close to the Messiah of the Christians than he is the Messiah of the Jews. Why? The budget for Torah institutions, in total, 8.3 million. That means, Rabotai, that all of the Torah institutions in Israel, in total, get 8.3 million. We get just a little bit more than plastic. Less than any other skill, less than the Arabs, not even 10%, not even 10% of what they spend on theater, approximately 10% of what they spend on music, and a little bit more than that than they spent on movies. 8.3 million. We're talking about $3 million. In so many words, one rich guy, and not even that rich, in America or anywhere else, can actually outfund all of the government expenses that Israel cries about and Lieberman and Lapid and, and all of the other Rishayim cry about Torah institutions. One rich guy throws a few million dollars to Israel, finish, we don't need the government anymore. I don't know why people haven't done this already. Now, surely you do know that a lot of money for Torah institutions is not coming from the government. It's come from both rich and poor people. Statistically speaking, over 90%, over 90% of adults 20 years and over, 20 years old and over in the religious community donate money. In comparison to secular, only 63%. Only 63% of adults 20 years and older that are secular donate money to any cause, to zoo, to anything. But, Haredi community, since it's part of our Torah, over 90% donate money. What are they donating the money for? Is this donation only benefiting the religious community? Let's see. Haredi organizations, non-profit organizations, such as Atzala, that is an organization that has expanded and has saved lives, both Jewish and not Jewish, not just in Israel but in America and other places, saves the government hundreds of millions of dollars. Organization like Yad Sarah, providing different types of medical supplies and all types of services that really the government is supposed to support, uh, uh, supply. They do it, not for profit, not for fees, saving the government at least $1.4 billion per year. $1.4 billion. Meaning, they save the government by themselves more than the entire budget that is spent on the religious community. Ezra Marpeh, which is Rav Firer, the genius that has helped countless people, on an average about 100,000 people have helped saving lives, religious, not religious, doesn't make a difference. They don't tell you, listen, we're going to help you if you wear a kippah. We're only going to help you if you're a... Uh, uh, you know, if you love God. No, even if you hate God and you're lefty liberal, you call Rafiqa, he's going to help you. Saving the government somewhere in a neighborhood of $100 million a year. By himself, just his organization. All of these organizations are run by religious people. Most of them funded by religious people. And yet, people have the audacity to complain about how we're taking from the government? 
When was the last time Atzala asked anybody if they're religious or not? I'll tell you, never. When was the last time any of the organizations that's providing literally tons and tons of food to poor people asked them if they're religious or not? Never. Our 10,000 people that we've already fed this year in Israel were on pace to feed almost 20,000 people this year. We try to cater to religious people, but we don't ask them if they're not religious, they still get food. If they have a health issue, we still help. And we're not even based in Israel. Literally, the amount of money that the religious community contributes to society in Israel and other places far, far surpasses any type of financial benefit that any government, including America, including Israel, and combining them, could ever offer them in return. The problem is, Rabotai, is that sometimes there are certain people in the religious community that make a mistake which we're all judged for. They take advantage of programs for for their own greed, even if they don't need to whether it's welfare or getting different money for their schools and different types of things that are simply not necessary. The smartest community in America, in my opinion, is the Satmer community. Not because they have the most amount of scholars, I have no way of knowing that. Not because they have the greatest Yilat also I have no way of knowing that. Surely they're righteous people, decent people, and so on. But for sure they're the smartest. How do I know? They don't use any government money. Not in Israel, not in America, not at all. And that's the reason their schools, their yeshivot, have never been threatened. But yet, modern Orthodox and other Chabad and other types of religious yeshivot in America and in Israel are literally threatened. Threatened to get shut down every other day by some type of villain from somewhere. If we simply just stop taking government money, stop it. It's not even that much to begin with. There is a way to do it. That's why one of our ambitions, one of our dreams, and if you say Hashem, if you say Hashem, the goal is for us to open a yeshiva that will not only accept all of these Jewish kids and, 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 and make sure that they do tshuva and their family does tshuva and they have to be serious about it, but it's not going to be based on money. You know what it's going to be based on? Do you want to serve Hashem or not? One of the main things we're going to have, we're not going to take any government money. And even more so, one of our greatest ambitions is not even to take money from the people either. To make it 100% donor funded. If you have money and you happen to also attend the school, maybe you should donate if you can. You don't want to, don't. Similar to our organization, Bezot Hashem. We don't ask people for donations. As much as people think we're after money, I've never had a conversation with any one person about money. When people ask me, listen, can I call you about money? Can I want to donate? I say, I'm sorry, you can just donate online. No, but I don't want to talk about it. There's nothing for me to talk about money. You want to talk, it's an assistant. She'll process your, your donation if you'd like. No, but I want to talk. I don't talk about money. Why? It's simple. I talked about money for 20 years. I have no interest in talking about money. I'm not going to convince you to donate. It will never be. Why? No interest in doing it. No motivation to do it. Simply thinking that they're believing that there's more downside than upside in doing it. 
if the rest of the leaders in the Jewish community would do the same, we'd have extraordinary results. Why? People like Lieberman will no longer be able to have any power over us. Now, of course, that's going to have to require all of the people that are doing better than others to contribute a lot more and not wait for someone to knock on your door and say, oh, listen, we're raising some money for somebody that's sick. We're raising some money for yeshiva. Don't wait for the calls. You have money. Go find a place to donate to. Just like you found a second house to buy. Just like you found a vacation to go to. Just like you found another piece of jewelry you don't need. Go find a place that qualifies to, to, to fit your agenda of what you want. To help in the Torah world. And go do it. Stop waiting for people to ask you to donate. And if you have a lot of money. Stop buying more businesses. Stop buying more toys. Go publicize the Torah. Save the Torah world from these reshaim. That's in reality one of the things that people need to do today. Why? Because so long as we take a single penny, a single penny from the secular world, we will always be at their mercy. Even if it's not logical, even if it's outright evil, even if it's outright wrong, where they take a lot more from us money-wise, Billions and billions of dollars are taken from the religious people by the secular world much more than we could ever imagine. The amount of benefit that the religious community gets from any government is literally a microcosm in comparison to the amount of benefits and money that the world gets or the country gets or the local community gets from those very same religious people or their friends or their family. If anybody would just simply look at the actual numbers, you would see it's literally an embarrassment for anyone to say this with a straight face that the religious community at large is benefiting from people in any way, shape, or form. Surely you're always going to find a few mooches here and there that take advantage when they don't need to, take a welfare check even if they live in a million-dollar mansion, take a government uh, assistance even though they're the ones that should be assisting the world. Surely you're always going to find some clown that does this, but you're also going to find a bunch of those in a secular world. And a lot more in a secular world. Hence the reason why over $2 billion is spent on keeping those secular people in jail. Perhaps if they increase the budget to $5 billion, maybe they could get them out of jail and, re- and, and actually to do tshuva by instituting programs like Rav Grossman's program that's been going on for the last 30 years. Notably the best jail program in the history of mankind, where literally the success rate of the prisoners that go to his program, Rav Grossman's program, and learn Torah every single day with the rabbi that they assign. Literally, the success ratio is out of this world. These people, not only they don't go back to jail, not only they don't go back to jail, they become a positive influence in society. Was that started by a secular person? Absolutely not. Can it be started by a secular person? Absolutely not. Why? You have to have Torah. The amount of benefit that the secular world gets from the Torah world is literally unbelievable. For any of these clowns to say that we, as religious people, are benefiting from them, it's really a rebuke from Shemaim. Why? We're not helping each other enough. 
if we were helping each other enough some of the rich people here in america in spain in venezuela in in, in the uk in a uh in uh australia all over the world some of these rich people would literally stop looking forward being the best person or the highest person on the forbes 500 list write a few hundred million dollar checks to different major institutions with a condition you are never allowed to get any 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 government assistance you need something you call me that's what we should do you have money help people but if we don't the torah will continue being burned in public Hashem's name will continue being desecrated on a regular basis and the religious people will continue looking like they're all homeless miserable people that cannot help themselves get out of their own way when the truth is quite the opposite the contribution that the religious people make to society especially to the secular world is so extraordinary that it truly should be embarrassing for anyone to even think that they've ever helped one religious person in their life as much as that religious person helped you. Why? That's what it says. That's what it says in the Torah. A person that helps someone that's learning Torah, he is the one that's praiseworthy. Why is he praiseworthy? Because he's the one that gets all the, all the benefits. He's the one that gets the benefits. The helper gets the benefits. Not the helped. That Avrech that you just donated a few thousand dollars for, he would have gotten it anyway from somewhere else. Like Adosh Baruch who's the one that runs the world, not you. You chose to be the vessel that Hashem used. For that we should all pray for every single day that Akadosh Baruch Hu will use us as vessels to help the Torah get bigger, to help Kiruv, to help the poor, to help Hashem's name be glorified in every Jewish household and even non-Jewish household. To eliminate idolatry, to eliminate any falsehood, to eliminate all these lefty liberal communists. Do that. Pray for that. Pray that HaKadosh Baruch Hu use you as a vessel to do such great things. And don't for a second think that he can't do it without you or that person that you help wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. When a person understands divine providence, that a Kadosh Baruch Hu him himself is the one that is taking care of the pockets and the bank accounts of every single creature on planet earth the ant or the Arab the secular Jew or the religious Jew the poor person or the multi-billionaire a Kadosh Baruch Hu himself is the one that decides how many dollars are going to be in their pocket how many dollars they're going to make how many dollars they're going to lose how much they're going to spend on things they want and how much they're going to spend on things they don't want when a person understands all of these things and even further understands the actual mechanics of things the real numbers you should know that to be a jew today to be a jew that's a religious Jew today is something you should be more proud of than any other time in history because for you HaKadosh Baruch Hu not only created the world but he keeps the world going but if that's not enough it's because of you 
that many people in society are still alive, still able to eat, still can actually make it to the hospital in time, still can learn Torah freely, both financially and with the freedom. The amount of benefit that the religious community gives to the world is literally unmeasurable. And those that do it for the sake of heaven know this. They may not publicize it. They may not even understand the, 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 the extraordinary impact they have on the world as much as they do. But it is true. And it is a fact. And for a person to be a proud religious Jew today should be easy. Why? You are the number one resource in the economic world both the spiritual and literally the physical and if you know that then it'll make it much easier for you to help others do the same because once you're proud of who you are you already become allergic you already become a uh, um something that everybody else wants to be like you become a uh, something that other people can catch on what is that called like when uh, something is a uh, uh, infectious, but in a positive way. I think there's a different world too. But nonetheless, you guys get the point. If a, if a person knows who they are, they know how much good they bring to the world, then it makes it easier for them to help entice other people do the, to do the same thing. If we were truly proud of who we are, and we truly understood how much good we bring to the world as religious Jews, not just as Jews, as religious Jews, then we would also have the confidence to stop taking any benefit from any foreign government, any Christian organization that's full of idolatry, any Zionistic and uh, uh, heretical government or institution, We'd simply have the Emunah and HaKadosh Baruch Hu that just like he allowed us to survive while destroying all of our enemies throughout all of the generations. And not only survive, he allowed us to prosper. Surely he will allow us to do it if we do even more for the sake of his name. If each one of us starts acting like a proud Jew, we can in itself do a lot more Kiruv, do a lot more Torah, do a lot more good in the world. Because now that you're proud of it, you're no longer hiding it, no longer sticking your head under some type of pillow as soon as some article comes out. You're no longer uh, you know, embarrassed to have a conversation. You're no longer defensive. You simply know where you stand. If a person knows where they stand and they know that they are the ones that have the truth, the debate was already won. There's no point to have the debate anymore. You know you have the truth. What's the debate? Who has time for entertainment? Perhaps those people that get $80 million a year from the Israeli government have time for entertainment. But usually the more productive people in society don't have much time for that. They're too busy producing good. Let's produce good in the name of the Torah and Be'ezad Hashem sanctify Kadosh Baruch Hu's name with only his hand to help us. With that being said, Chavod, who wants to ask some questions?
Israel Yahweh is asking, is it a sin from the Torah for someone to reject a date on the grounds of hoping to find another person to meet the criteria of the Western love derived from Greece, which includes passion, lots of worldly desires. Okay, I get the point. Uh, well, to have those passions that the Greeks and the Romans and the uh, different types of... Uh, uh, heretics and immoral people uh, have requires sins uh, because you cannot d develop a passionate love without being passionate. So for a person to desire to sin is a sin in itself. Uh, even you know, but it's not as great of a sin uh, as it is if he acts on it. So for a person to reject a date uh, in order to sin, surely it's a stupid move. But uh, it has major ramifications. What kind of ramifications? Let's see. The Gemara in uh, Masechet Sota, in uh, page 42b. I have it in front of me. Uh, so you don't think I have such a great memory or something. The Gemara in Masechet Sota, page 42b, says a few interesting things. What happens to a world that does not have a people that understand what God is and who he is and so on? So it goes into an interesting uh, story. What's the story? It says that there was a Vayotze Ish Abanim Mimachanot Plishtim. And the Binaim men went out of the Philistine camps. Who is the Binaim? Binaim was another name for Goliath. Goliath, the enemy of David. Why is he called Binaim? Rabbi Yochanan says that that's because he emerged between, miben, multiple acts of cohabitation, Meaning that he was born of 100 stepfathers and one father. To say that Goliath, his mother, cohabited with 101 men in one session. One day, one night. And from there, that's where he came. And Rabbi Yochanan says that according to his understanding... The seed of all, the seed of all of these 101 men resulted with Goliath, the wicked Goliath, enemy of Israel, enemy of David, enemy of Hashem. Now, the Tosfot says, no, the reason why it says 101, it says 100 stepfathers and one father is because it was a hundred men and one dog. Meaning the mother of Goliath wasn't enough for her to mate with men. A hundred men in one day, hundred men, one dog. And the Midrash Rabbah, Parashat Vaikra, says the same thing. It was a hundred soldiers and one dog. Fulfilling what the Ramban writes in Parashat Azinu, which is that when someone is promiscuous and uh, starts with just looking for a passion in an inappropriate place, 
There will never be enough passion. They're going to want to meet more and more desires. Sometimes it starts by himself or herself. Then it starts with another person of the opposite sex. And when that passion is not enough, they want the same sex. And when that passion is not enough, they want even something more taboo. Sometimes it's incest, their father, their mother, their their sibling. Uh, Sometimes it's a married woman or a married man. Sometimes it's an animal. Uh, hence the reason why 1% of the U.S. population admits that they uh, commit bestiality on a regular basis. You're talking about over 3 million people admit that they are intimate with animals just like Bilam. These are people that were born babies just like you and me, uh, have flesh and blood, have a uh, brain in their head, but yet they are looking for passion and the passion from themselves the passion from their wife or husband their passion for somebody else's wife or husband the passion for the same sex opposite sex all of those passions simply are not enough they have to go to a goat or a dog or some other type of filthy desire that they have that's a passion it all started the same way that somebody can start a passion on their own in their bathroom they're passionate about themselves this is the same thing now the mother of Goliath didn't start that way she didn't start that way why she has a very righteous sister named Ruth who's Ruth Ruth is the great 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 grandmother of not only David the Melech of the Mashiach Ruth number one female convert in the history of mankind Ruth Tzadika, her sister, her name was Orpah. And the Gemara in Masechet, Sota says, why was she named Harpa and Horpa? Two different names of the, uh, two different versions of her name, Harafa and Orpa. This is because she would get crushed beneath or behind from the different men that she was promiscuous with on a regular basis this filthy creature calling herself Opa or Arpa did she always was she always this way no she actually used to be righteous she used to be righteous her sister Ruth was also righteous and one day after her both of their husbands died they decided okay we're gonna stick with our mother-in-law Naomi the tzaddikah was doing tshuva because she knew that she made some mistakes her husband was stingy did not want to donate money to Torah institutions and for the poor even though he was a multi-millionaire and instead of donating money he fleed the country as a punishment both of uh, the uh, her sons married non-jews which was Ruth and Opa they weren't Jews at the time and both sons ended up dying the husband died our life went to the garbage so now Naomi is doing tshuva is on her way back to Eretz Yisrael and she tells Ruth and Opa listen I have nothing to offer you I'm an old woman even if I had a son right now and I wanted to restart my life he's still going to be too young for you go you're still young go find yourselves a new future and both girls say no no I want to stay I want to stay I like you I like you she said no listen I'm I'm not I have nothing to offer you in fact you remind me of, of bad things it's just nothing 
Opar says, you know what? You're right. I'm going to move on. This Judaism thing that you're doing tshuva now, you're, you're keeping the Torah and stuff, it's not really for me. It's not really for me. I'm going to take the offer. But I, of course, I believe in God. I want to be moral. So, she cried a few tears. Four tears to be exact. Like Esav, cried two tears. Esav also cried. And Ruth, Dafkaba. She claimed on to Naomi, she says, no. Your God is my God, your people are my people, and became a complete righteous convert who merited to be the mother of the Mashiach, grandmother of the Mashiach. Opa, on the other hand, she, she didn't accept the Torah, didn't complete her conversion. In fact, didn't continue watching the Shuret Torah either. Apparently, YouTube wasn't working back then. And she didn't even have her app. The Bezat Hashem app, she didn't have it. So what happened? She went back to tell. She figured, no, I'm moral because I learned somewhere. And I can't stay moral without being glued to the Torah, without being glued to Tzadikim, without being glued to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So one thing led to the other. And Opa became Arafah. Opa went to be a promiscuous woman, so promiscuous that one man was not enough, two men were not enough, three men were not enough. She wanted passion. She wanted passion, but one, two, three, four, five, six, twenty men is not enough. It's simply not enough. So she said, you know what? We're going to go for a marathon. hundred men in one day and a little dog, poodle or something. And that's what she did. And that's what she did. And from there, she got four boys. Why four? The Gemara says she did cry about the fact that she was leaving Judaism and any source of connection to Judaism. She cried about it. She was sincere when she cried. For those 40 years, she got four warriors. But because she left the Torah, she abandoned her conversion. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, let those four warriors become the victims of her sister's hero. Oh, David HaMelech. David HaMelech killed all of them. Him and his people killed Goliath and all three of his brothers. All of them were giants. All of them were muscular. All of them were huge, huge people. Powerful, rich. David directly killed all of them one by himself and, and some was people killed but nonetheless this was measure for measure why ruth wasn't looking for passion she was looking for truth truth you can find from the torah passion you can find with amalek you can find with a uh, with a opa you can find with uh, christianity idolatry all types of passion you can find there why because the only passion that a person is allowed to exert in this world is with someone they're already married to if they're looking to exert passion with anyone that they're not married to already it shows that their actions are in the wrong direction and they should know that they can easily head in the same direction as opa who started good 
but ended up terrible. Next question. David is asking if the members of the Kahal regularly go to mixed gyms, men and women gyms, Shemishmovi Yatzil. Uh, can one say amen to their prayers, Kaddish? Can they give uh, the Kohen blessings? Are they considered Rashas? Okay, so you're asking multiple questions. Anyone that goes to a, uh, a Jew, that goes to a mixed gym, where there's males and females there you know, working out and obviously looking in a, uh, a very uh, um, immodest way, this is a sin, not just a sin, a rabbinical sin or a sin that your own Reuven sin. It's a sin from the Torah. It's called Gilu'e Arayot. It's no different than going to the beach uh, where there is immodesty there, where the Chachamim say it's better that the person die and not go to a mixed beach or a mixed uh, dancing wedding or a mixed gym. It's a sin from the Torah. Now, that makes each and every single one of them a rasha in accordance with, with relate to that particular sin but it doesn't make them an idol worshiper if they were idol worshipers let's say if they, they drove on shabbat uh, they uh, prayed to yoshke uh, or, or something like that then of course you cannot say amen to their blessing you cannot count them in minyan you of course you can't uh, 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 include them in a birkat koanim and so on but uh, this is not idolatry, and therefore, technically, you can still say amen to their blessing. Uh, but the goal is should, of somebody in the community should be to get these people to do tshuva. Uh, because if they continue going uh, to a synagogue and uh, praying and uh, still not do tshuva, that means that the synagogue is a uh, failed institution. Because the point of the synagogue is not only to be a place for people to pray, it's also for a place for people to learn Torah. And if they're not learning Torah to get them to stop going to these forbidden places, then uh, someone is lacking. And that someone is the entire community. Not just the rabbis. The rabbis by themselves are very scared today of telling people what to do. Because usually the rabbis do not have enough money to run the community the way they want, and they're afraid of getting fired. But if the people that are zealous for Hashem and love Hashem and are really serious are going to back the rabbi, and they're going to tell them, listen, rabbi, you know, no matter what, we're with you, we're, we'll pay your, if, if, the, if they uh, don't want to pay your salary, we're going to pay your salary, we'll do whatever you can, just please tell these people the truth. If the, if the rabbi feels confident that he can tell people the truth, then he will start giving real lectures in the community, and tell people that if they're going to a mixed gym, if they're involved in illegal businesses, if they're married to non-Jews, if they're doing anything that's against the Torah, they are considered wicked and they're going to go to Gainom. They're going to go to Gainom and he could even give them a whole lecture about Gainom or he could just set up a filming where he can get everybody to congregate and put on the screen our lectures of Tikkun Abrit, a movie or a lecture about Gainom and get people to understand that uh, their actions will lead them to a bad life, both in this world and the next. But he needs to have the, sh- you know, the strength and the support from the community to do that. He can't do it by himself into this, in today's world. It's simply very difficult for people. Uh, not, uh, uh, not everybody is uh, simply strong enough to do it, uh, you know, because they know that uh, it's not even a matter of like, spiritual strength, it's a matter of a reality. They know that 
if they tell the community the truth, they'll get fired and, you know, and even the good effect that they had on them will be no longer. So they have, you know, the community needs to support their rabbi through thick and thin, which includes money. People need a clear message. Communities should start becoming more generous with their rabbis, you know, through thick and thin and, and encourage them to tell people the truth. Encourage them to tell people the truth. Literally, like reward them for telling people the truth. Uh, and, uh, and that way the, uh, the community could be saved uh, from complete destruction when the time comes. Uh, you know, as I say, the funny thing is, is that it's sad really, more than funny, is that the wicked people like uh, Joseph Dweck and, uh, and Ephraim Goldberg, those people get paid literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and in some cases over a million dollars a year from their communities just to sell them lies. So even if those clowns wanted to do tshuva, they almost, it's almost impossible for them to do it. Why? Because they know that all of those same people that are giving them money usually don't want to hear the truth. Which means that anyone that wants to save that community has to either bring a different rabbi to replace them that doesn't care about the money, or they have to replace the salary and tell these uh, rabbis, listen, I'll fund you. I'll pay for the salary. Just tell these people the truth so you can uh, stop having people drive on Shabbat. But either way, it's, it, it has to be a uh, community... Uh, 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 type of uh, force. It cannot just be one person. It's simply not enough pinchas in in the generation. There's not enough nachshon ben aminadav in the generation. It's not enough. And many times it's a. It's not because the rabbis are bad. It's uh. It's and it's not even because the majority of the community is bad. It's because there's no unity among the good. There's a lot of unity among the bad, but no unity among the good. If people, uh, you know. Uh, created a plan that could impact an entire community but if, if everybody acts like a lone soldier it's it's not going to be very good uh dennis is asking let's say i'm doing a certain non-torah related activity and i see another person doing it in a better way is it jealousy or the sort of if i think i should do that too if the answer is that it's not bad uh, can it still get to a point of jealousy in Ainara, and how would I avoid that? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Rambam uh, says that uh, a person can make their tshuva invalid by thinking that Hashem did not forgive them. How do we grow in tshuva without doing that? Okay, these are multiple questions. Try to keep it to one question at a time because I'm trying to get to more people. Uh, okay, so first question is, uh, to, jealousy is not uh, 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 something where you're not allowed to get good ideas from other people. Adraba, the opposite. If you can get a better way to uh, to uh, to do something from somebody else, that just makes you clever. The, uh, the 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 most successful men in in the world were not necessarily the most uh, intellectual. Uh, the most successful uh, people, I should say, today, especially today's world where there's a lot of successful women also, uh, the most successful people are not necessarily and not even usually the, the smartest people in the room, uh, but rather the people that were clever enough to know who the smartest people in the room are. Meaning that he wasn't smarter than everybody else and he wasn't able to uh, 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 build something or engineer something or create something, but he knew who could. And he was smart enough to unite those people. Those are usually the, the most successful people. 
you know people like uh, uh, the guy from Tesla uh, are, are not common it's it's usually people that are more like a, uh, a Warren Buffett or a Steve Jobs or a uh, you know uh, I don't know the guy from Microsoft uh, those are usually the people that uh, are the most successful in society and they're not the smartest they're not the smartest they're not the engineers they're not really the ones that create the product they're not they're usually the ones that have the greatest ideas uh, as far as what to do but they know who could they know who could either come up with the idea or implement the idea that they have and so on and so forth which means that what makes them successful is that they learn from other people they see this guy did this and he succeeded I could repeat it or I could even innovate and make their idea even better that is uh, a very good thing to do both in a, in a uh, uh, non-Torah related and Torah related meaning that in a non-Torah related if you see that somebody can, is, is, is able to uh, market something in a certain way and it's more effective than the way that you're marketing as long as it's ethical what he's doing as long as you're not stealing anything from him that's of value not stealing any copyrights not stealing any patents you're simply just using the same mechanics he's advertising on uh, a certain website and so are you now he is uh, selling shoes and you decide to sell shoes also he is uh, I don't know including a certain package with every product and so are you you're just learning a, a, a better trick uh, to, in order to do something more productive no no problem he is screwing from the right to the left and you you know and you're doing from the opposite and you realize his way is better then do the same thing that's not stealing that's perfectly that's that's genius that's how that's how uh, people succeed people that want to learn everything on their own usually do not succeed uh, and the reason why is because they're too arrogant uh, to succeed they're too arrogant to admit fault which usually means that even if they succeed with their original idea the second that they fail the second that their idea stops uh, stops working they have a very hard time uh, abandoning ship because every idea is like their own baby and it's more like a a, a, a pride thing not to fail so the most successful people are the ones that uh, also learn from others and, and and can find the best people uh that's one in the torah world is the same concept when you know the the smart the most uh accomplished scholars that we have in the torah world are the ones that are constantly learning from even bigger scholars you know that's 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 how you have in the torah world i mean it's a if you want to be a talmid chacham you have to learn from people that are talmid chachamim you cannot learn from heretics, from stupid people, from uh, uh, people that don't know right or left and, and think that that's going to get you to the promised land. You have to learn from people that are smarter than you. You have to learn from people that are uh, more uh, accomplished than you in that. And uh, the ones that have succeeded the most, uh, the Gdoleado, you'll see that they studied with some of the greatest people in the world. They didn't just do everything on their own they study with some of the greatest people in the world some of them spent a uh, the vast majority of their time with one rabbi but practically all of them still spent some or a lot of time with a bunch of other tamidei chachamim you know so it's a uh, for example rab adis rab adis rab yaakov adis he is uh, one of the mekubalim in the world he's an extraordinary tamid chacham he's written over 50 60 books already uh, I read one of his uh, recent uh, books that was translated uh, to English recently. Somebody sent it to me, and uh, he's an extraordinary Talmud Chacham. Uh, and 
but you see one of the things that I one of the things that I, I really enjoyed uh, discovering is I read his bio uh, in the book and he talks about all of the rabbis that he studied with I mean he comes himself his father was one of the Gedolei Adol his grandfather was one of the Gedolei Adol I mean he comes from one of the oldest Jewish families of scholars in in the world today so it's not it's not like like Rav Ades is not like a new thing like he has been he's a continuation of accomplished scholars giants for hundreds of years but still he studied not just with his father he studied with a uh, with with huge rabbis he studied with Rav Ovadia. he studied with a, uh, a um uh some of the Mekubalim in 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 uh in his generation uh, uh Rav Kaduri he studied with a uh, uh I believe it was also uh some of the Ashkenazi poskim that were also gedolim. Uh, I believe they also studied with Rabbi Yashiv at some point. I mean, he studied with some giants, like literally one after another, one after another. And you're asking yourself, when do you have time to do all this? Like, how, how do you, you still have 24 hours in a day? But that's the thing. When someone is chasing Torah, like they're chasing life, Hashem gives them the siyat v'ishmayet to do a lot of things that they wouldn't think are ordinarily possible. But the point being is, is that he knew that in order for him to get better to know more to 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 know the full truth he has to learn from the you know as you know from the best of the best from the best that was available to him Baruch Hashem today people have you know uh literally uh, an endless amount of Torah available on the internet and uh a person can get a lot of Torah handed to them on a silver platter usually for free and uh you can learn a lot and you know usually when people tell me listen rabbi do you think i should listen to rabbi such and such i tell him if i know the rabbi and i think he's a he's a good rabbi tell him sure why not you know like just say uh but generally speaking i don't recommend for people to learn from too many rabbis because everybody has different strategies and they can create a lot of confusion especially for people that are relatively new but uh still if it's a rabbi that i uh you know i've heard his lectures and i know his work i don't mind uh, recommending it and many times people that follow my channel see that i put uh, other rabbis channels from uh from time to time if i think that something is good but you know if it's going to help somebody sure but the thing is though is that if a person is uh going to delve in a new thing every day they're never going to succeed why because they have to do what the chachamim do which is focus on something learn as much as possible as you you know from that uh, teacher and then once you uh have uh, uh achieved everything that could be achieved then you move on to something else but usually people are not uh doing that they they jump too fast and uh that's that's why sometimes somebody tells me listen i've been listening to you for two years and uh or three years or five years or whatever it is and uh i was i was thinking maybe i could listen to somebody else i don't listen you want to listen to somebody else go ahead it's, it's up to you but the question is have you listened to all of the lectures because usually there's not two lectures that are the same Baruch Hashem. you know I've, no usually it's like no no i listen to a lot i listen to 100 lectures i listen to 20 lectures i listen to 200 lectures i have 2000 lectures you haven't learned 10 percent of what we've taught over the last uh i don't know seven years I don't know I mean if you think that you've learned everything that we know and uh, everything that we continue to to teach and so on go over there but that type of uh, planning is never going to work so it's important to learn from other people but not to just bounce around like a frog you know go learn as much as you can and apply it
in regards to the second part of your question of whether that's going to create jealousy i don't really see a reason of how it can create jealousy if you're simply looking to learn now if you're looking to learn in order to hurt that person in order to to, to defeat that person in order to steal from that person then obviously the, the jealousy wasn't created the jealousy was there already from day one you know but uh, as long as you're you're doing things for for the right reason there's no reason for you to be concerned about jealousy as far as uh the what the rambam said about a person can lose their uh, uh their uh, all of their mitzvot by regretting them sure and if a uh, person does not want to get to uh uh to such a uh, low level they should always uh express gratitude for everything that they do for for everything that hashem gives them every time that they do a blessing and they say thank you hashem for such and such they should really mean it and, and really think about what they're getting the more you appreciate what you have uh you know the the less likely you are to ever uh, regret having it so uh that's uh you know it's important for a person to be connected to the mitzvot okay next uh what is the end game of the online rabbinical heretics uh is it disney kiruv to bring them in uh or is it a deliberate quest to manipulate the torah and change it forever like the Erev Rav. Um, also, they seem to get worse every time you call them out. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. So, as far as the end game for all the heretics, it's a, it's it's the, the goal is to do a couple of things. Number one, it's to expose the heresy. So, for most people that are unlearned uh, enough about the truth to be able to tell the truth from the lie when they see it, uh, first and foremost is to expose the lie and also teach the truth and at least give people a, uh, a, uh, uh, an ability to have to make an educated decision. Second, it's to expose the liar uh, in order to make sure that that liar knows that they're no longer alone. You know, there's, there, there's, a, there's people are aware that they're a liar or at least some people. Of course, some people will stay with the liars and even some people will go to the liar just because, because they're stupid. But nonetheless, the liar himself usually at that point has to react in some way. Some people react uh, in a way where they fight back, which is very normal. They fight back and and some people simply say, oh, now that the lie is out, uh, let me just tell them everything that I want. Like, let me just completely. uh, And that's actually what happens. They get worse because they are no longer scared of being uh, exposed anymore and what they've been telling people in private what they've been telling people in a uh, in a under the table type of things they're now saying in public which is a good thing because now people will be able to uh, uh, decipher the truth from the lie right off the bat they won't need us anymore to continue exposing it because those people are making their lies uh, so public that anyone that's looking for the truth and 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 is you know uh, trying to educate themselves will compare the text to what these people are saying and will be easily able to identify what's truth and what's false. Now again, some people like the lies and will stay with the lies and will even defend the lies, and that's unfortunately a majority of people in some places. 
but the uh, the Erev Rav, uh, one of their jobs is to destroy the Torah, to destroy the Jewish people. That's their role in the world. These heretics are surely part of the Erev Rav. Uh, they're no different than Avigdor Lieberman. Uh, they're no different than uh, Naftali Bennett. They're no different than the Christian missionaries or those that support them. They're no different. You know, all of these people are dangerous to the Jewish world in a spiritual sense, uh, and some even in a physical sense. And uh, the goal is, is to try to educate the public enough that the few good ones that, uh, that, that are stuck to these bad people without real knowledge can see for themselves that their, you know, their inner doubt about the authenticity of these heretics is not just a doubt that they have alone it's actually a fact based on information they didn't have at the time so once you show that these people are heretics and they believe in a foreign torah like this asher meza literally says that you don't have to keep the torah if you don't live in israel and if you uh don't want to be in a torah observant jew you can convert to christianity i mean he's not even like the sadducees he's not like the karaites he's not even like the reforms and the conservative He's a completely new cult, completely new religion. And, uh, and, and, and anyone that is continuing to listen to his videos and continue to support what he does is simply just like him. That, that's it. They're just like him. And they'll have the same terrible end like him. You know, that Gehenna that they don't want to believe in will become their home, both in this world and the next. You know, they want to call themselves morally righteous and, and, and morally right and so on. You know, literally a sentence before or after they, uh, they mock the Torah, they mock the religious people, they mock, uh, uh, you know, anyone that uh, has an opinion that's opposite to them, you know, which is very interesting because they say, listen, we're open to everybody. It's okay to have a different opinion, but yet everyone that has a different opinion, they mock them and they make fun of them and they do a lot of other things. So it's, it's, it's interesting if you see the uh the the crowd that's uh, usually uh uh you know is is most involved in uh, in his videos they're very similar to him you know there's a people that are not jewish or there are people that are for all intents and purposes considered heretics according to the torah one guy that's on there is an evil monster who loves to get people to question judaism he's an openly a atheist uh he's openly an atheist he's proud of being an atheist but yet he still acts as the uh, chazan as the cantor in different communities in chabad in new york that's one guy he's a wicked disastrous person another person is a complete it's a mechalel shabbat uh he doesn't keep shabbat even though he's been listening to uh to, to meza for for a long time and apparently he met his wife there but he hasn't met hashem yet because he's still not even keeping shabbat and he doesn't necessarily think there's anything much of it. Uh, there is a uh, all types of people that uh, simply they're 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 lost. They're lost. They're in La La Land, and because they're so glued to the sin, it'll be very very difficult for any of them to leave. Very difficult for them to leave uh, because they have to simply humble themselves, which is uh, you know it's not easy. It's not easy to humble yourself. Yeah, but either way, the uh, the good news is that for the first time in a very long time, if not ever, 
people can get to see that, uh, you know, Meza for what he is, and not even because of us exposing him, but rather because he's exposing himself. He is distorting his teachings uh, that were already heretical to begin with, uh, and, and really sh- telling people what he really believes, which is as foreign from Judaism as can possibly be. Like I said, even the Karaites, the Sadducees, the Bachusees, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Reform, the Conservative, no one ever said such a thing. Like, there are people that, like the Reform, they don't believe that neither the Torah that's written or the Torah that's oral is from heaven. They don't believe that. But even they did not say that you only have to keep Torah if you live in Israel. Like, that's like something completely new. That's like a chidush. But yet, he says, oh, there's no, no one disagrees with it. And he acts with confidence, like as if it's uh, Moses is sitting right next to him. Korach was also confident, right? Before the, the Hashem opened up the ground and swallowed him. And the Hashem, you know, they either do tshuva as soon as possible, or the ground swallows them, whichever one happens first. That's what we pray for every single day in our Amidah, and so does every Jew. Every Jew in Amidah, these types of people that are cause the public to sin, these types of people that are hapikosim and so on, we uh, say we don't want them to have any, uh, any hope. Uh, any any continuation and uh, we want them to do tshuva but if they are not going to do tshuva it's better that they simply leave the world in whatever fashion Hashem decides uh, it's it's not it's it's for their benefit it's for their benefit because at least they'll stop sinning it's, 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 that's the reality at least they'll stop sinning at least they'll stop causing others to sin and trust me when I tell you even though they're all going to go to Gainom if they don't do tshuva uh, it's, it's still better for them to stop sinning now then stop sinning a day later, you know. But as long as uh, as they continue, you'll see each one of them continue to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and everyone that follows them will also continue getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Very similar to what happened with Christianity, where it started as something very similar and nearly identical to Judaism, and ultimately became one hundred percent idolatry that everyone with a little bit of basic knowledge of Torah can identify. Uh, even the non-Jews can identify that uh, uh, you know that, that Christianity is idolatry as soon as they understand what idolatry is. So uh, it's a uh, it's it's sad on one end to uh, to have to deal with this uh, type of uh, thing, but uh, listen, even uh, even sanitation is a uh, is a good job uh, for you know that's necessary in the world. So this is like spiritual sanitation. You have to deal with uh, with these people. Not everybody wants to do it. Especially in the English language, but Baruch Hashem, if that's the uh, what Hashem wants to use as a vessel for, Baruch Hashem, so be it. Uh, let's see. Chris Smith is asking Shalom Rabbi. Recently, I have been studying Alacha for conversion, and when I do, I get very tired. Okay, you said try. Okay, tired all of a sudden. It could be because of the Torah can tire people out, or the Yetzirah. Uh, please correct me. Both. Both. Uh, for, you know, the uh, learning Torah, especially when you're learning, uh, you know, the laws and you're learning things that require a little bit uh, more mental strain, in general is not a, uh, you know, it's not an easy thing. In fact, the more deep, uh, the more in-depth the Torah that you're learning, especially when it comes to Allaha, uh, the more uh, mentally and physically straining it is. Uh, of uh, um, the... Uh, 
one of the um, one of the great Rashi uh, Yeshivot, um, uh, Rami Ponovich. Rami Ponovich, uh, when he was building the the building, the yeshiva, one day the construction worker showed up, but the uh, cement and other uh, things did not show up. But he already, you know, hired the people for the day, and uh, they told him, "Listen, what do you want us to do? You know, either way, we have to get paid for the day." So the Rav Miponovich said to them, okay, no problem, just go into the yeshiva and uh, each one of you just uh, learn something, learn some Torah. Look at him, what do you mean learn Torah? We don't know how to learn Torah. He said, you can learn something. You know how to, you, you, Tehilim? You know how to read Tehilim? Yeah, yeah, I'll read Tehilim. Okay, so you read Tehilim. The other guy says, no, I don't read Tehilim. Is there something else? You don't know how to read Chumash? Bereshit, Barai, Lokim, Etashamayim, Etaharet. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, go read that. The other one, you want to read Gemara, there's a shiul, daf yomi, something. Sure, go. Everyone, go. Literally a half hour later, all of them come out and say, listen, Rabbi, don't worry about paying us. We're going home. Well, why not? Why don't you want to learn? Oh, we're exhausted already. Half hour into it, they're already exhausted. They were able to build buildings. But to, to strain your, uh, your brain is not necessarily an easy thing. You know, so that's, that's one. Two, also the Yetzirah. Yetzirah will obviously is also responsible for tiredness and uh, he's going to try to get the person uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to uh, be too tired to, to do it. And that's one of the battles. It's not uh, just because you're studying for uh, conversion. It'll, uh, it's also because of studying Torah in general. Many people have this battle. Uh, almost everybody has this battle. It's one of the things you have to overcome. Uh, the more uh, you want to learn, the more accomplished you want to be in the Torah, the more you'll have to be willing to sacrifice your life for it. And sacrificing your life for it doesn't mean you have to jump in front of a bullet. No one is shooting your book. Sacrificing your, love, your life for it means you have to sacrifice sleep, you have to sacrifice different physical pleasures, sometimes sacrifice a meal or two or three or five, uh, sacrifice money, sacrifice your life, your real life. And uh, the more a person wants to learn Torah, the more they have to sacrifice. It's just a reality. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things that uh, when a person, uh, you know, starts off the Torah many times, uh, it's, uh, it's bitter, it's difficult, it's tiring, it's this and that. But if they overcome that obstacle, they start feeling the sweetness of the Torah. And they start enjoying the Torah, especially if, you know, fulfilling it and, and, and fulfilling what they're learning and teaching what they're learning or, or uh, sharing what they're learning and so on. They start feeling the sweetness, but then that sweetness will sometimes uh, go away. It'll go on break and you'll go into a, uh, uh, like a spiritual drought. That spiritual drought is not because Hashem doesn't want your Torah. The opposite is because He wants your Torah even more so, but He wants you to he wants to elevate you even further, which means that you're, you need to uh, overcome another big obstacle. And, uh, you know, there's no end to these obstacles. You know, there are times that, uh, you know, you'll uh, open a book and literally within 30 seconds you're already asleep in your fourth dream. And there are times where you could, uh, you have the strength to stand up for five hours uh, reading from a book. Depends. Each person is different. Either way, if you want to succeed in the Torah world... The more success, the more sacrifice. You know, the more sacrifice, the more success. But sacrifice meaning with no boundaries. With no boundaries. Uh, let's see. 
Are you not obligated to rebuke minim and heretics? Uh, if you see it, if you see something, say something. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I mean, if you see that there is, there is two mitzvot when it comes to rebuke. There's a mitzvah to rebuke a person that you see him sinning. So a heretic in itself is sinning. Uh, but there's also a mitzvah of protest. There's a mitzvah of protesting. Uh, so uh, if you see people that are desecrating Hashem's name, desecrating the Torah, yes, you are biblically required uh, to protest. Uh, unfortunately, many people don't do it. But uh, that doesn't mean it's, uh, it's not a Torah requirement. It is a Torah requirement. And uh, some people uh, do it, and some people don't. But uh, nonetheless, it is a, uh, it is a mitzvah. In fact, uh, the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, Masechet Shabbat, uh, page 55a, or uh, I think it's 55a, says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu originally wanted to uh, only uh, destroy the Bet Migdash and kill uh, all of the wicked people. Uh, but uh, then the Malach uh, Hamavit, the uh, you know the Satan, the Yetzara, comes to Hashem and says, "No, you, why, why, why are you uh, preserving all of these religious people?" And Hashem says, "No, they're all righteous." And the uh, Satan says, "How are they righteous if they're not fulfilling your Torah? They're not fulfilling the mitzvah of rebuking their brothers." And Hashem says to the Satan, he tries to argue for them because he doesn't want to kill the religious people. And he argues for them. He says, yeah, but they fulfilled the Torah. They fulfilled the Torah. He says, no, they didn't rebuke. That's one of the mitzvot in the Torah. And then Hashem says, yeah, but I know that this generation, the wicked people in this generation, was so bad that even if they would have rebuked them, it wouldn't have helped. And the Satan says, you are Kadosh Baruch Hu know, but they don't know that. They have no way of knowing it. They're not prophets. They're not Hashem. They're not angels. They're people. They don't know if the people are going to listen or not. According to them, it's always 50-50. And since they do not know, they're obligated to do it. They're obligated to do it. Hashem says, you're right. Kill them first. And that's actually what happened. Hashem Yishmovi Yatzit. Gemara says it's the only time that Hashem turned a, bad, a good decree into a bad decree. Originally, he wanted to protect the religious people, but eventually, uh, what ended up happening, he ended up punishing them first. And, uh, you know, and it's because they did not rebuke. Right? They did not rebuke. And the Gemara Masechet Chayah, Abaye says, Anshe Munah Vadu. The uh, men of uh, truth are uh, gone. Uh, men of faith are gone. And the Gemara says, What's men of faith are gone? Men of truth, people that fight for the truth. Who was, uh, where is this verse from? This is what Hashem said to the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah said to Hashem, why are you going to destroy the Bet Mikdash? Hashem says, if you can find me, if you can find me even a single person out there that's fighting for the Torah, that's going to help people do tshuva, I'll save the whole city. I'll save the whole Bet Mikdash. I'll save everything. But Hashem says, there's no men of truth. Nobody's fighting for the truth. Nobody. And for that, when Hashem said that there's no more people fighting for the truth, the uh, in essence the uh, the people lost their and uh, the Bet Migdash lost its right to exist. So when we rebuke the heretics and, and protest against them 
it's not necessarily to change the heretics or change the uh, uh, the minim, uh, but rather it's number one to protest and fulfill the mitzvah of honoring a kadosh baruch Hu's name and protesting and fighting the war of Hashem uh, and being used as the vessel. Not that Hashem needs us; He can do it Himself, and He has an infinite amount of soldiers that He can use. But you want to be that soldier, so number one. Is for you to be the soldier, you jumping into the war. You're not asking Hashem, do you want me to do it? You're just jumping in because you love Hashem. You're jumping in. Hashem, I'm fighting already for you. Whether you want me to or not, I'm already fighting for you. Why? Because this is what's in the Torah. So number one, it's to protest for the sake of Hashem. Number two, it's to warn the public because the, ma- the majority of the public are not aware that their rabbis, their speakers, their heroes are destroying society including their own life and including the the audience that you're talking to they're not aware of this they're not aware of this and you simply you're educating them uh and, and you're exposing the, the the life for what it is and the truth for what it is uh, these are a couple of the uh biggest reasons of why you would do it surely there is a uh, uh you know different uh things that uh you can aim for with different messages and so on, but the most important part is to, uh, for the sake of honor of a kadosh baruch hu in his Torah, and also to uh, to uh, uh, help the uh, the ignoramuses the, that are out there that do not know that what they're listening to, what they're watching, what they're involved in, what they're supporting, is uh, indeed uh, something uh, bad. It's bad for them. It's poison. They just simply don't know it because it tastes good. So. You know, it's a uh, uh, it's, it's it's a job. It's a job that uh, I, I can tell you. I I spoke to a uh, big rabbi today. I spoke to a big rabbi today, uh, and uh, talking about some of these different uh, issues and so on. And uh, he was telling me, "Listen, it's a very big mitzvah what you're doing. You're 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 publicizing all of these different things, these different heretics, these enemies of the Torah, and so on." Uh, and uh, I told him, yeah, I wish I would have had, you know, I wish I would have had a, uh, other rabbis uh, join me also. And he said, yeah, you know, you and me both, meaning that nobody else wants to do this. Nobody else wants, even the people that agree. Even the people that agree generally do not want to expose other people. There was a uh, one uh, big rabbi that was, uh, uh, you know, uh, part of the conversation and say, listen, I agree with everything that you're saying. Everything you're saying is 100% right. Okay, so why don't you join? Why don't you write a letter? Why don't you make a video? Why don't you do something? Ah, listen, I don't want to get involved. It's too much headache. It's too much this. It's too much that. Unfortunate. It's a reality. It's not a reason. Just because the war is just doesn't mean that everybody wants to be a soldier. But those that are the soldiers end up being uh, the, the, the peacemakers. Uh, not the ones that uh, you know that create war. They're the one. The war is already happening. Uh, they're they're the ones that fight. The ones that are soldiers end up being the uh, getting the brit shalom. That's what we learn in Parashat Pinchas, where Kadosh Baruch Hu says uh, Pinchas ben Alazar ben Aaron Akohen eshivet Chamati. He is the one that brought back my wrath, and he says I uh, I'll bless him with the brit shalom. That Pinchas is the one that stopped my wrath. He's the one that uh, stopped me from destroying all of Am Yisrael. And his uh, reward is the covenant of peace. The covenant of peace, which uh, the sages teach us 
Briti Shalom is also another name for the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is a, uh, is, uh, his name is uh, Shalom. And uh, Hashem says uh, the Shekhinah will always be on Pinchas. And Pinchas is Eliyahu Navi. When from there we learn that when people are rebuking for the right reason, not for ego, not for money, not for uh, the sake of winning, you know, for, for the truth, for the sake of uh, Hashem's honor, His Torah, the Emet, to help people and so on, that brings mercy to the world, the Gemara says, that brings peace to the world. On them it is written, that there's a verse that you people uh, 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 read in every shul, uh, that uh, Torah scholars bring peace to the world, it's written on the rebukers. The rebukers, the people that bring the truth, they bring peace to the world. Why are they bringing peace to the world? By showing people where they're erring, and therefore they are at war with Hashem. So when you tell people that they're making mistakes, you're encouraging them by default to do tshuva. When you do tshuva, you're now creating peace between them and each other, and them and Hashem. So that's why the uh, 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 the, the most uh, extraordinary reward uh, that we see in Parashat Pinchas is, is given to Pinchas. It's given to Pinchas because he's the one that did something that, for all intents and purposes, nobody else wanted to do. Nobody else wanted to do. Nobody else did. He's the only one that uh, was able to do it. And it's interesting because a, uh, uh, when, you, when you really think about it, it's, uh, it's not a common thing. It's not a common thing uh, to see that a Kohen uh, killed someone. In fact, a Kohen is not really supposed to kill people. A Kohen is someone that is a, uh, supposed to have peace. You know, you don't see Aaron a Kohen killing people. But I, uh, I heard from a, a Tamit Chacham named Rav Aryeh Shechter, where he says it's interesting that you see two Kohanim, two Kohanim kill people. Which Kohanim? Pinchas and Eliyahu Navi. And that's one of the places where we learn that Pinchas is Eliyahu Navi. Pinchas killed Zimri and Cosby. And Eliyahu Navi killed all of the uh, false prophets that uh, were, um, you know, misleading people. So Pinchas is Eliyahu, he is the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, that killed. Why? Because his killing was what's going to bring peace. His killing is what will bring a peace. Now, of course, we don't need to kill anybody. That's uh, Hashem's job. But we can uh, spiritually fight by exposing the truth, exposing the lies, and, uh, and at least allowing people to, uh, uh, to make an educated decision. Uh, one or two more questions, and then uh, we're going to finish the night. I have to take a little bit of a break before my next shiul. I have a shiul in Hebrew coming up. Uh, let's see. If you forget to do bracha for putting on tzitzit and or tefillin, do you still get a mitzvah, or is it a sin? Well, tzitzit, the mitzvah of tzitzit is, is covered when you uh, say the, the blessing on the talit. On the blessing of the talit, uh, you get a, uh, you know, you cover both the tzitzit and the talit gadol. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, there's no uh, uh, blessing to do on the tzitzit. Um, this is uh, safari. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing for Ashkenazi, but you have to double check on that. I'm pretty sure, but it's the same. As far as to fill in, to, to not do a blessing on it is uh, problematic. It's problematic. It's, uh, you know, it's problematic. Yeah. 
Gemara says in Maschet Brachot, anyone that uh, does, uh, enjoys anything in this world without seeing a blessing is considered like he stole from Hashem. So the last thing you want is to serve Hashem by stealing from Him. Uh, so in essence, when a person forgets to do a blessing on, on something, that means that they're lacking a little bit of connection between Hashem, their attention is elsewhere, so they should do you know, tshuva by getting rid of all the things that are stealing their attention away. So if their computer is on, if their phone is on, if somebody's talking to them, if they're thinking about work, whatever it is, they should, whatever is uh, getting their attention away from where it's supposed to be, uh, you know, eliminate it and make it a, uh, a policy that as soon as you go, anytime you go to shul or anytime you pray at home, wherever you're praying, the phone is off, the computer is off, and, and, and you're just focused, just you and Hashem. And also try to read all the blessings uh, from the Sidu. And, uh, and if it, it helps you to remind yourself, even highlight certain things that you've forgotten. So it, it helps you uh, not forget them. And do whatever it is. Use different tools in order to remind yourself. Use different tools in order to remind yourself. And, and uh, in essence, uh, fulfill what the Chachamim say, uh, that uh, a person does not... Uh, uh, really earn the uh you know know how to do the uh the mitzvah until he fails until he fails at it meaning that you don't understand the significance of the mitzvah until you failed at that mitzvah so sometimes it's important to uh uh learn the halachot it's always important to learn halachot but sometimes the best teacher is not just the book but rather the fact that you failed like you messed up you prayed late you forgot to do a blessing and so on and so forth but uh, the way that becomes a good teacher is by uh, now using that failure as a uh, as an opportunity to uh, to do it better next time by you know using it as a reminder. This is part of the reason of why we have a month called Tammuz. Uh, Tammuz is technically a name of an idol, uh, and uh, that name Tammuz. Why would we call one of the months of the Jewish uh, calendar after an idol? It's actually to remind Am Yisrael that they used to serve this idol. And uh, they have to do tshuva. They have to do tshuva. So it's, uh, it's in essence, these types of messages are not just for uh, you individually. There are messages uh, and different uh, alerts, if you will, that are, were instituted by the sages all across uh, Judaism uh, in order to get us a, uh, you know, away, as far away from sinning, as far away from uh, abandonment and uh, really to, to use every opportunity to get closer and closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's something that requires constant work. There's no question about it. It requires constant work, but if you uh, work on it every day, a little bit every day, you'll see that you'll succeed. If you work on it a lot every day, you'll succeed even more. Avam is asking, is a Jew allowed to pray in front of a painting of the Bet Amigdash? Um... I mean, the main Torah prohibition is to pray in front of a picture of a human. That you're not allowed to do. As far as praying in a direction of the Bet HaMikdash, yeah, I don't see necessarily there being a problem. Of course, you're not praying to the picture, and you're not bowing uh, to the picture, and you're not uh, thinking of this uh, picture as being uh, something that's uh, of of, of holiness or anything. It's a picture. It's a picture, and uh, thereby shouldn't be a problem. Uh, but generally speaking, the custom is 
that there should not be pictures inside places of prayer. Um, that's why usually you will not see pictures inside a synagogue uh, next to the Awana Kodesh. Uh, unfortunately, I've seen uh, uh, some places have pictures of rabbis um, and next to the Awana Kodesh, and that's a very big problem. To have a picture of a rabbi or anyone next to the Awana Kodesh, for sure it's a problem. For sure it's a problem. Uh, it's against the Lacha, to say the least. Uh, question, uh, do babies get tuma in their hands after waking up? What if they wake up two or three times at night? Uh, do mothers have to do that till they die each time they wake up to feed them? Uh, it's a very good question. Uh, the Arab Yitzchak Yosef writes in Yalkut Yosef uh, that uh, babies do not get the uh, same level of tuma uh, as uh, adults do. The, uh, there, is, there are some Chachamim that say uh, that they don't get any tuma at all, at all. They don't get any tuma whatsoever, uh, and therefore you don't need to wash their, your their hands. You could, but you don't need to. Uh, there are some chachamim say that they get some type of tuma, but it's a uh, very very limited uh, and doesn't uh, require. There's no uh, uh, obligation to uh, to wash their hands or anything like that. Uh, but it is good policy. To uh, to wash their hands in the morning when they uh, you know the, the you know, when everybody gets out of bed and so on. I know of course newborns especially or even young kids. Uh, God bless them. They uh, they sometimes wake up you know several times during the night to eat to drink to this to that. Oh Hashem, you know it's a uh, they wake up. You don't need to wash their hands each time. Uh, you shouldn't even because that'll wake them up even further. Makes it more difficult for them to go back to sleep. So there's no need to do it, but it is good policy to wash their hands in the morning when you're all getting out of bed at some point, uh, especially as they get to a point where they become a little bit more self-sufficient. They're two, three, four years old, and they start understanding, you know, the concept of blessings and the concept of Hashem and so on. Uh, it's very good to already teach them early to wash their hands and to do blessings before they uh, eat something. And uh, don't uh, rip their heads off if they forget to do a blessing. You see them eating. Say, did you do a blessing? Uh, no. Okay, do a blessing. And they do a blessing. That's it. Don't like, uh, you know, they're little kids. You know, but it's good to remind them constantly and uh, in a nice way and to make it fun. Uh, and, uh, but in general, as far as Tum'ah is concerned, you don't have to worry about Tum'ah and kids. This is in Yalkut Yosef Ashkamata Bukhil. The, the, uh, I believe it's the first... Uh, volume of the uh, Yakut Yosef uh, is uh, the the alachot uh, in regards to netilat yadayim for adults for for uh, uh, for for kids and so on in regards to uh, the mothers uh, you know if she's waking up constantly at night uh, she's not obligated to do netilat yadayim if it's possible she you know she should but usually it's not possible because the baby is crying or so on. So what you can do is you could just rub your hands on like the bed or on your pants uh, or, or some type of clothing or whatever and then and, and that's it. Uh, but you don't have to do a blessing and uh, there's even no even real obligation to do it. The main, uh, the main time to do the Netilat Yadayim is, a, uh, is, is the morning when you're officially getting out of bed. Now I know for, for, for some mothers... Uh, in like my Rabbanit, God bless her, and, and some other, uh, you know, uh, people. Uh, there is no morning, there is no night, because, you know, sometimes you have a baby, uh, or a few babies that uh, they take shifts. They take shifts, like, you know, this one 
sleeps from 12 to 1 and the other one you know is awake from 12 to 1 and that one finally falls asleep and the other one wakes up you know so sometimes it's like that and it's almost like the mother never sleeps and this is a uh, surely uh, uh, something only a righteous woman can deal with uh, you know I don't think guys can do such a thing but uh, you gotta do your best you gotta do your best to uh, uh, sleep whenever you can but uh, don't uh, worry about the natural time during the night if you can you should it's good to do it but it's not an obligation in any way shape or form and uh, the, like I said the main issue of Tuma is in the morning is in the morning uh, let's see I think the last question we'll, have, we'll take uh, Joshua is asking why was Esther allowed to marry with Achashverosh even though he was a goy if it was for the sake of helping the Jewish people isn't it not allowed to do a sin or to do mitzvah uh, yes, you're 100% right that you're not allowed to do a sin in order to do a mitzvah, but this was not considered a sin. She was what's called Anusa. Esther was called Anusa, meaning if she didn't, since he was the king, he had uh, the full ability to, to kill her. Uh, and therefore, if she would have said no, uh, then she would simply committing suicide. So uh, they, uh, the Puskim uh, go over this, and, and they say that they... Uh, uh, this was not even a sin at all, uh, especially for a woman. And, uh, and the reason, especially for a woman, is because when it comes to the uh, aspect of intimacy, uh, the woman is generally passive. The woman is generally passive, and uh, meaning that the man can do whatever he wants to do, shemishmo, and she doesn't have to enjoy it, she doesn't have to be a part of it, and so on. And it's, it's, like, it's like rape. So during the first part of the relationship between Esther and uh, and Achashverosh, uh, you know, it was considered as if she was being raped every time. Some, you know, uh, 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 Kabbalistic teachings say that really she was uh, sending Achashverosh a demon that looked like her every night that he wanted to be with her, and that's really what he was. Uh, but that's also why when uh, when Esther uh, said to uh, 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 Mordechai that uh, she's uh, going to approach Achashverosh now uh, for, you know, in order to, uh, uh, to, to ask the question, to have the meal and so on. And after that, they're not going to be able to be together, meaning that she was originally married to Mordechai and she was going to be allowed to come back to Mordechai uh, at some point if Achashverosh died or so on because technically she was being raped. She wasn't doing it electively, but since the moment she did it intentionally which was really for the sake of 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 saving life saving her life and saving all of Amisrael was sacrifice uh she was no longer going to be allowed to come back to Mordechai but either way she, it was considered a uh nefesh, a life risk that if she wasn't uh, going to do it she was simply going to die and for that uh, there is a permission for for a woman to do it not for a man because again, a woman is passive in the act of intimacy, whereas a man is not. It's not possible for a man to be passive. Uh, another question, April is asking, my husband wants a dog, but I heard you say that we should not have a dog. Why is that? Uh, it's not necessarily that you shouldn't have a dog, it's that you should take certain things into consideration. Uh, first and foremost, when it comes to dogs, uh, they're good animals, their name dog in Hebrew is Kelev. Kelev it comes kulo lev. It's a it's the essence of a dog is that it's all heart kulo lev. 
so dogs are very good animals as far as they're helpers of human beings but that doesn't make everything good on a spiritual end the dogs are considered an impure animal the most impure of all animals uh, because they're they're uh, they're uh, uh, not um, they're very uh, uh, how do you call it uh, you know abrupt or, or really uh, you know uh, unashamed uh, of with with their with their uh, you know um, procreation you know the, by themselves or otherwise so they're considered impure animals uh, and therefore there's a certain level of tumah of impurity that uh, the the household gets as a result uh, so that's one two uh, when it comes to uh, alacha if a person is going to live a Jewish life they need to know that uh, first it's a big responsibility and the responsibility is that if you're going to eat you have to feed the animal first you have to feed the dog first because if you don't if you eat before your dog does it's a it's a tor- it's a uh, biblical violation of of torturing animals because the animal can't feed itself so you have to take this into account there's certain lachas certain laws you need to learn in order to have a uh, dog second thing is you're not allowed to uh to hold the dog or pet the dog uh on shabbat because the dog is considered muktze any pet any pet uh you know the dog or a cat or a cow they're all considered muktze so you're not allowed to uh, uh to pet them so which means that walking the dog on shabbat is a little bit difficult uh you know so unless you have a, you know a big backyard and you can just release the dog that's the best uh that's the best idea you can just let them out they you know relieve themselves and then come back that's perfectly fine but you can't uh uh, uh you know uh walk them uh like you would uh, during the week uh if you're going to walk them during you know during the uh shabbat you can't touch the animal you have to have a short leash so the leash doesn't hang so there's a lot of halachic things a person needs to know in order to have a dog most people you know already uh you know if they're new to judaism they are uh, already having a tough time learning the, the laws of shabbat alone needless to say the laws of dogs on shabbat so that's another reason you know we don't need more sins last thing i would say also is that dogs are a responsibility it's like having another person in your house uh you have to feed it you have to take care of its medical issues you have to make sure that uh you're uh, giving the dog food that is uh kosher for passover during pesach uh you know it's again i'm assuming all of these things are for for jews non-jews have an easier time with dogs because they don't have a lot of the laws that i'm talking about but for jews you have to know your dog food has to be kosher for pesach you know it's, you can't feed your dog food uh your dog dog food that's from i don't know walmart or something on pesach because that's chametz so if if a person is not jewish then they don't have to worry about such a thing if they're jewish they do have to worry about it uh because it's a biblical sin that why would anybody want a death penalty for having a uh, dog food so these are certain things that most people don't necessarily think about uh you know and, and also it's a responsibility to have a dog where if you want to take a trip somewhere you have to uh, be concerned about who's going to take care of the dog uh if you travel if you uh you know have a uh, a job that requires you to be out of the house a lot and so on it's not exactly ideal situation for a dog because the dog needs company usually 
uh, needs company. So if you're going to travel and so on, and every time, you know, have, uh, you know, that dog sitting in some kennel for a week, that's torture. It's better not to have the dog. Uh, if you're going to have somebody take care of the dog and make sure that, that person is responsible, then it's fine. I used to have a dog. I had a dog for 16 years. His name is Bully. He's even in one of my videos, uh, my Torah videos. I learned something from him, uh, you know, about Chuva, where, you know, he was a really cute dog. It was a great dog. And, uh, uh, but he would shed. He would shed a lot. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the, after the, he would get out of the, off the carpet, it would look like the carpet should be thrown in the garbage. But then, uh, you know, after you clean the carpet, uh, the carpet looks brand new. And it's in essence, I learned from there, that's like tshuva. You know, in a, when a person first starts doing tshuva, it looks like you have too many sins to fix. It looks like you're too dirty. But in reality, once a person starts taking tshuva seriously and starts learning Torah, they realize they can become completely clean. Just like the Gemara in Masechet Yomah, page 86, uh, says that a person can turn all of their uh, uh, sins into mitzvot even, if their tshuva is high enough. So, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things I learned from my dog. Uh, so the point is, is that a person needs to uh, take a lot more into consideration uh, when it comes to owning a dog than just the fact that they're cute. Uh, and also, last but not least, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a Torah violation to have a dangerous dog. Unless that dangerous dog is not endangering anyone, meaning you have a protection dog that's away from everybody, that's protecting your land or someone, and no one can get hurt from it, that's fine. But if you have a dog that's dangerous, it's a isul uh, Torah. The, the Gemara says that uh, such a person is a rasha, uh, that even causes people to have less yirat shamayim because of it. Um, it's uh, because a dog that's a dangerous dog, a dog that uh, barks really loud, can make a pregnant woman have a, a miscarriage. And there's a Gemara story about it. One of the uh, people had a dog that would bark a lot. And some woman uh, that was pregnant uh, passed by in the market, and the dog barked at her. And uh, the woman uh, jumped. And the man says, ah, don't worry, don't worry about it. Nothing, nothing's going to happen to you. I removed all of his teeth. And the woman says to him, uh, I don't need you uh, to, uh, I don't need your words, and I don't need your favors uh, because I already, I just lost a baby, meaning that she had a miscarriage because his dog barked at her. So that person gets a sin. That person gets a sin for having such a dog. And the Torah says that it's very, very dangerous to have, spiritually dangerous to have a dog that's dangerous. And, and many times, those are the dogs people want. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's again, it's, it's, it's a big responsibility. If a person knows how to handle a dog, both from a, a lachic perspective as well as a moral perspective then they can have a dog it's perfectly fine but if they do not it's better off not to have it uh oh and also another halacha is we're not allowed to neuter them jews are not allowed to neuter animals considered uh, a torture of the animal which is a very common practice in the world today especially in america it's almost like unheard of not to neuter animals uh, but it's considered 100% a sin to do such a thing. Not allowed to neuter an animal. There's no, there's no uh, permission to just torture the animal. Oh no, it makes them healthier. Okay, we'll cut your part off and let's see how healthy you become. It's complete nonsense. Not allowed to do such a thing. It's evil. And again, 
This is what people would want you to do. Why? Because they're going to tell you, listen, if you don't do it, then the animal could be more aggressive and blah, blah, blah. Okay, then don't have the animal. Simple. There's no obligation to have an animal. No obligation. So, again, it's a lot to consider. A lot to consider. Uh, this is the reason why, despite, you know, uh, having a very close relationship with my dog and liking dogs and, and thinking that dogs are great, we never got a new one after, uh, after Bully died. You know, I had him for 16 years, and uh, he was a great dog, was, uh, was uh, you know, wonderful, wonderful animal. But the, uh, the more I learned, the more I realized that it's, uh, it's a responsibility I did not want, uh, especially since I, uh, we just had our first kid at the time. And it was uh, very, uh, you know, uh, concerning constantly, you know, if, uh, you know, even though the dog would never even, like, uh, you know, uh, do anything. It was, not, it was, a, it was a you know, great dog, but still, it's, just, it's always in the back of your mind. Because at the end of the day, as much as you like the dog, it's still an animal. It's still an animal. You know, so a person needs to take a lot into consideration. And uh, if they took everything I just said and more into consideration and still think that they can have a dog, go have a dog. Uh, but, um, you know, if, if most people, you know, are usually not going to have it uh, because of uh, all of the reasons that I just told you or other reasons I haven't mentioned. In a religious world. Not a religious world, obviously. It's you know, a different world, different life. Okay, Rabotai, I uh, need to take a little bit of a rest before my next lecture. I appreciate you guys learning with me. I think we learned a lot of new things, Baruch Hashem, today. Kadosh uh, Baruch bless each and every single one of you with lots of Torah. Chaim Arukim, Shlemim, Eleim Torah, Mitzvot, Gminut Chasadim, Nachat Dubacha. Reminder for everyone to go to BH torah.org and order yourself one of these uh, uh, CDs to give out in your community in the U.S. Uh, again, this is for the U.S. people. If you could get yourself one of these for free, it's $170 value. You could order it by going to bhtorah.org. For all of the people that uh, saw the video of the uh, young girl uh, that, Baruch uh, Hashem, we help her and her family, that uh, she was in the hospital and then we get a whole birthday party for her where no, uh, no expense was spared. Uh, these are one of the many stories uh, that we help that simply there's not enough time uh, to help. There's a lot of chesed opportunities, poor people, surgeries, uh, you know, health issues, uh, all types of crises that our organization, Bezad Hashem, uh, helps people with uh, when, uh, you know, we, we see that it's legit and uh, all the facts are uh, there. You know, there was a surgery uh, for a guy that he simply couldn't afford. He had to go to Germany for it from Israel. Just a flight alone he couldn't afford. Baruch Hashem, it's one of the things that we did in the last year. And Baruch Hashem, we got the good news that, you know, he felt much better after it. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for that, uh, you know, he would still be suffering. He was suffering for like 15 years. So an opportunity like that, we're able to uh, have the merit to do it. An opportunity like this little girl or, uh, or other people. You know, just uh, today actually... Uh, there was a, uh, you know, there was a uh, uh, couple that we know, uh, you know, the nice people, we've helped them in the past before, but the guy doesn't want to get free money, he doesn't want to get free money, so, uh, you know, he feels bad about it and so on. So what we did is we bought uh, like $1,500 worth of uh, his products, which he sells, he sells like, um, 
like uh, salt and uh, and uh, like cooking stuff like uh, salt and uh, and uh, rice and uh, flour and all types of stuff like that. We bought I think it was seven products uh, for sixty families, for sixty families. So about oh, I think it was like fifteen hundred dollars, forty five hundred shekels or so, or the stuff so we can give it to a bunch of poor families for free. Simple, you know. He gets some panasa. They get, you know, it, with, with respect, they get food because they need to get it anyway. We need to help them anyway. And that was just today in the last 24 hours. These types of things happen on a regular basis. It's just not enough time to publicize the stuff and make another video and make another campaign. The point I'm trying to say is that anyone that wants to be involved in these miracle stories uh, can simply contribute to this particular campaign on a regular basis or, you know, on, on a monthly basis, on an annual basis or whatever you want. Uh, there, uh, you go to uh, bhchesed.org, 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 uh, that's like our chesed uh, part of the organization, lots of uh, opportunities to help people, the more we have, the more we can help. Bring good to the world, Rabotai. Bring good to the world. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen. כחלק מהפעילות שלי בארגון בעזרת השם, הגענו לכאן לבית חולים לשמח ילדה מתוקה בת שבע. זאת ילדה של משפחה שאנחנו עוזרים לה מדי חג בסל מזון וגם מדי שבת, לפעמים אנחנו גם עוזרים להם, הרב ירון דואג להם. ושמענו שהילדה מאוד רוצה לחגוג יום הולדת ולהורים יש קושי לחגוג עקב המצב הכלכלי. היום בבוקר אשפזו את הילדה המתוקה הזאת עקב דלקת ריאות ואנחנו רוצים לשמח אותה, הרופאים הבטיחו לה שעד יום שלישי הקרוב היא משתחררת מבית החולים. לכן אני רוצה להודות לארגון בעזרת השם, לרב ירון, לרב כחלון, לרבנית כחלון, שאני שליחה ופעילה ומשמחת את המשפחות האלה בזכות הרבנים הקדושים האלה, בזכות בורא עולם ובזכות התורמים. תודה רבה, ואנחנו הולכים לשמח אותה עד לב השמיים. הנה אנחנו כאן חוגגים יום הולדת, ולא רק יום הולדת, גם מסיבת הודיה לילדה המתוקה הזאת. והאימא כאן איתי, והיא רוצה לספר את גודל הנס שקרה, אבל כמעט זה לא קרה, השם ישמור לא עלינו. והאימא פה איתי רוצה לספר. פשוט יש לה אסמכרונית כבר כמה שנים, וממש תפס אותה באמצע הלילה, ממש קוצר נשימה. ממש בקושי נשמע לי והייתי צריכה להזמין אמבולנס וממש היא הייתה עם 
היא הייתה אפילו בתוכה מבונה, המשרד הזה שהגיעה לבית חולים עם בלון חמצן, ממש המצב שהיה ממש לא טוב, הרופאים אמרו שזה ממש היה הצלת חיים ו... מה הרופא אמר? שבעצם אם הייתם מפספסים... אם היינו מתקשרים יותר מאוחר זה היה יכול להיגרם במצב יותר בכלל. והיא 24 שעות עם בלון חמצן. ממש, היה אסור להוציא לה את זה. אז הנה, היום אנחנו כאן לחגוג יום הולדת שבע, נכון, שרה יקרה? מודה גם לקדוש ברוך הוא ששמר עלייך. איך המודה, היא מתרגשת. Oh, 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 oh,